My name is Keith Beavers, and I just found out like a group of like a, a group of bunnies is called a fluffle. That's <laughs> just so, it's cutest. That's the cutest thing ever. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine One Hundred and One Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the Tastings Director of Vine Pair, and you know it. Okay, Nebbiolo, Barolo, Barbaresco. You guys are fully informed, but there's Nebbiolo outside of Barolo and Barbaresco, just in Piedmont itself, and a little bit outside, and we have to talk about it because you're going to love it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Brancaya. In the grand tradition of Super Tuscans, the Brancaya wine stays true to that era, blending Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon with Sangiovese, pride of Central Italy. The result is a big, full-bodied red wine that even your dad will like. The depth and concentration of this wine will make you say things like, rusticity. Not sure if it's a word, I'm making it a word. So I'm sure by now, you guys know it's no mystery my love for Nebbiolo knows no bounds. Am I right? I've done Piedmont episode. I've done Barolo, Barbaresco. I've done deep dives. I've done Neb- the Nebbiolo episode. I've done all this stuff. But the thing is, wine lovers, I'm not done with Nebbiolo. Because getting information to you guys about Barolo, Barbaresco, and the grape itself is very important. But that's because it's all over the market. You're going to see it everywhere. But the thing is, Nebbiolo is in other forms. Oh, I just hit the microphone because I'm so excited. It's in other forms, but the same variety and actually under different names from different parts of Piedmont and sometimes outside of Piedmont. So I want to talk, talk to you guys about this grape that I love so much and other expressions of it in different parts of this part of the world. So let's talk about Nebbiolo outside of Barolo and Barbaresco for a second. What do you say? Let me start with with this. The Nebbiolo grape is always the first to bud and the last to ripen. So that gives winemakers the idea. Well, winemakers often say that Nebbiolo is a little bit fussy because of this. And the soil is so important for the ripening, the phenolic ripening of Nebbiolo. And that's why in Barolo, Barbaresco, and those little surrounding areas there, the variety expresses its full potential of aromatic complexity, its expressiveness, its flavor, its balance between its incredible acidity and substantial tannins. It's Barolo and Barbaresco allow Nebbiolo to shine like no other place on earth. But the thing about Piedmont that's different from almost every other wine region in Italy is that it will not assign IGTs to anything. It refuses to. So if there's a DOCG, but you want to declassify it to an IGT, you can't. But what they do is they create DOCs within DOCGs as their declassification. So the reason I say this is there are Nebbiolos surrounding the Barolo and Barbaresco area. There's Longue Nebbiolo, which I talked about in the actual Piedmont episode. 
And then there is a place called Roero, which is kind of northwest of the Barolo Barbaresco area. And that Roero DOCG can be declassified to a Nebulo d'Alba, which is a larger DOC surrounding the DOCG. The larger Nebulo d'Alba area also basically includes over 30 communes that surround the town of Alba, seven of which actually almost partly lie in the Barolo DOCG. And what's a little bit confusing here is that there are places like Monforte d'Alba, Novello, um, Diano d'Alba, Verduno, a place called Radi. These places can produce Barolo within, if their vineyards lie within Barolo, but if they produce outside those lines, it has to be Nebula d'Alba. I know it's, it's, it's confusing, but what you should think about instead of like, oh my gosh, Keith, can you explain that more and slow down a little bit is... <laughs> As Nebbiolo emanates away, like a pulse, imagine like the, you see a pulse happening in Barolo and Barbaresco, and as it pulses out, Nebbiolo finds itself in other places just in the surrounding area. All you have to know really is as you move away from Barolo and Barbaresco, these other very close surrounding areas of Neb that make Nebbiolo, the variety just expresses itself in a softer way. It doesn't have the big, huge structure that it does in these places. It, they're really great. The acidity is higher, the soft, the fruit is plush. They're awesome wines and they're extremely affordable and they're available on the American market. So instead of concentrating on just those little towns that I talked about, when you go to a wine merchant, just ask for Nebula Dalba, just outside of these famous places to get a sense of what it's like. The thing is, once we leave the southern part of Piedmont, Nebula changes dramatically. And as we go north towards Milan, because a lot of these regions are surrounding Milan, not all of them, but some of them, we're getting into the, the foothills of the Alps here. That's why Piedmont, Piemonte, means the foot of the mountain, because you're in the foothills of the Alps. And all the way on its western border, bordering the region to the east of Valle d'Aosta, is the what is often called a postage stamp wine appellation and, and the most northern appellation in Piedmont that grows Nebbiolo is Carema, C-A-R-E-M-A. This DOC, actually here, they don't even call it Nebbiolo. They call it Picontinere. I'm not really sure if I'm making that saying that right, but it's P-I-C-U-T-N-E-R. There's also another version of that they call it, but this is what they call Nebbiolo here. And actually over the border in Valle d'Aosta, they also make Nebbiolo. They call it the same thing, but in Valle d'Aosta, it's more of a blending variety. So we're not going to spend too much time on that. But here in La Carema, the Nebbiolo grape is grown on only 40, four, zero or so acres under vine. It's a very small appellation, but we do see some of this on the American market. I was able to put a bottle or two of this on my wine list in New York City, so it is around, but not a lot of it is made. And the thing about Carema, these wines, this is Nebbiolo, and it's so different because when we get up here, and as we start talking about Nebbiolo up here in the north, the thing about it is the fruit is not going to be as full as you get from 
Barolo and Barbaresco. Acidity is going to be a big part of the wines up here, but the wine does fill out. It is Nebbiolo. And the difference here is the wines in La, Cre La, La Crema are kind of leathery. They have kind of a soft, leathery fruit and a wonderful perfumed nose. I mean, this is where Nebbiolo really kind of like shows its sort of like deep savory side and they're wonderful. They can be expensive. Not a lot of it's made, but if you're like an Indiana Jones type Nebbiolo hunter like me, you can find them. So if you look on a map and you find Crema, you're going to see how far up in the Northern part of Piedmont that it is. But if you start going East along the foothills of the Alpine of the Alps, you're going towards Milan or Milano. Before you get to Milano, you're going to get into these two provinces, Novara and Vercelli. And between these two provinces are all these hills. And in these hills, they grow Nebbiolo, but they call it Spanna. S-P-N-N-A. And in these hills is kind of like a cluster of all these wine zones and there's two DOCGs here that are pretty important and are now, as of like 10, 15, uh, more than 10, 15 years ago, I remember when these wines were coming on the market and people were getting very excited about it. They are the neighboring wine regions of Gatinara DOCG and Gemme DOCG. Gemme is spelled G-H-E-M-M-E, Gatinara, G-A-T-T-I-N-A-R-A. The two of them actually face each other from across the river Seisa, which is which runs through these hills. And Gatinara actually itself has been popular. Well, it, you know, it was a big deal in the 15th and 16th century. But what what's interesting about this place is at one time it was actually revered more so than Barolo itself. And, you know, as I said, when you get away from Barolo and Barbaresco, the fruit of Nebulo starts to kind of just focus in a little bit, get a little, little more leaner, brings more floral notes out of the wine. Well, here that is absolutely the case, but because of the austerity of these wines, they often need, well, the, the rules state that 35 months before release for regular Gatinara and for Reserva, 47 months. So just like with Brunello di Montalcino, how they release a Rosso di Montalcino so that it doesn't have to age as long, they do the same thing here. Where in the Gattinara DOCG, they also have the DOC of Coste della Seisa. So you're on the coast of the river, the banks of the river Seisa, which is, runs through Gattinara, and that is the class of wine that allows them to release sooner while these big wines are starting to are still in bottle. And what's really fun about fun about Gattinara is they're really big on single vineyard wines. Single vineyard is a big deal here. And what's in what that, that means is you're just trying to concentrate this terroir into these wines that sometimes vines have a little trouble developing fruit. But the cool thing is it's not just Spana here, Nebbiolo that grows. They also have a grape called Uvarara, and a grape called Vespolina. And those wines, they're kind of these juicy, fruity red wines that are actually allowed to be blended into these wines, just a small amount, like I think it's like less than 20% to give it a little more fruit. So these are very cool wines and they're out there on the market and they're great. Now, just across the river Seisa is the other DOCG, Gemme. And here you have a similar situation, but 
instead of just Uva Rara and Vespolina, they can also blend a variety called Bonarda, which is a very popular grape over in the Veneto near Lake Garda. So what you get in these wines is you get this kind of, I say austere, but it's not a bad word. It's just that they're very angular and, and just they're sharp with tannin. But all of the stuff around it really supports the wine. They have good fruit, great aromatics, amazing acidity. They're powerful red wines. And of course, amazing with food. I mean, like, forget about it, right? There are other little wine zones around the Gamay DOCG with names like Sizzano, Lessona, Bramatera, Boca, and Fara. You can find these wines made from Spana and blend with blends of all these other varieties that I, they talked about, even a grape called Croitina. They're just, they're so small. They, they range between seven acres and 28 hectares. So they're very small, not easy to find, but again, Indiana Jones, Nebulo, I'm there. Now I know I talked about Valle de Osta and I just want to mention that they do do 100% Nebbiolo. They call it Picantonaire, Picutonaire, but it's a lot Nebbiolo really finds its way into a lot of blends in Valle d'Aosta. And the wines coming out of that area are just awesome. And we should do an episode on, on Valle d'Aosta because there are varieties that are being grown there that are not grown anywhere else. And they're just awesome. And when they blend it with Nebbiolo, it gets pretty cool. But I want to talk about probably the most significant place outside of Piedmont that produces wine from the Nebbiolo grape. It's north of Milano in the region of Lombardia. It's called Valtellina. Although wine has been, been made here for quite some time, it's kind of a, I don't want to say it brand new, but it's kind of like from the 1950s, this wine region kind of got its modern mojo on, if you know what I mean. It's in a narrow valley in the Alps north of Milan in Lombardia, like I said. And it's one of these funky places where the valley goes from east to west. And here, they don't call Nebbiolo Nebbiolo. They actually call it Chiavanesca. C-H-I-A-V-E-N-N-E-S-C-A. Chiavanesca. And some, something very interesting about this place is over time in the modern era, they've actually lost some land under vine because it's so steep and terraced here. It is impossible for uh, any kind of mechanized harvesting, only hand harvesting. And even that is difficult. So they actually have reduced it a little bit because I guess some of the vineyards were dangerous. In general, Nebbiolo from here, Chiavanesca from here, it, it's northern and it has a lot of acidity because it's Nebbiolo, but because of all the sun hours, because it's so high up in elevation, the fruit does develop into this kind of medium-bodied fruit, medium-bodied red wine. But the cool thing about Valtellina is they have figured out their terroir down to the, the, the tea, a tea. And the way Valtellina shakes out is you have the Valtellina Rosso, which is the larger DOC that covers the whole place. But there are these five subzones. It's really terroir-driven here in Valtellina that, that express their style differently. And this is in the Valtellina Superiore designation. And within this designation, you have these subzones, Marojo, Sasela, Grumelo, Inferno and Valgella. 
And it's always hard to generalize terroir in subzones, but generally speaking, you know, I had these wines in my on my wine list. I was able to actually go through all these subzones and get a sense of them. And it's pretty true. You have Marojo, which is kind of delicate. Sasela is more elegant with very like a lot of minerality. Grumelo is kind of like fruity, kind of like really balanced in the fruit section of the wine. Inferno makes a lot of sense. Very earthy, very powerful. They're big, full-bodied wines. And then Valdela is more the fresh and fruity side. Again, you're never going to get, I mean, that may change, but that's kind of how the terroir shakes out for them. And if you go through and get these, and they're not that expensive either on the American market, you can kind of get a sense of the different terroir or sense of place expressions in Valtellina. Talk about Nebbiolo here, guys. Well, Chiapanesca, but how awesome is that? So those are the places outside of Barolo and Barbaresco that do Nebbiolo in Italy with names like Spanna, Chiavanesca, and Picurtener. <laughs> don't think I'm making that. I don't think I'm saying that right. So I didn't talk about anything outside of Italy or in the New World because the, these places that I just told you about are, are kind of like a study in Nebbiolo because of its proximity to the place in which its most purest form is expressed. And I think it's very fun to try Nebula in different forms. Outside of Italy and in the New World, Nebula takes on characteristics that kind of really just completely do away with everything you get from that part of Italy. So there are pretty cool examples of Nebula out there from Australia, California, and Oregon, and Washington, and stuff like that. But this is the core of Nebbiolo and its different expressions. And you can, if you notice, they have different names throughout Piedmont. That means these varieties have been around for a long... This variety has been around for a long time in those places to the point they got their own names. So that kind of gives you a sense of how old it is and how in tune with the sense of place Nebbiolo has in this part of the world. But next week, we're doing one more Nebulo thing. I'm going to talk to a winemaker from Barolo to give you guys an idea of what it's like to have a legacy in one of the most famous wine regions in Italy and the world. Woo! Let's talk next week. Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating VinePair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of VinePair for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire VinePair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. E&J Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of VinePair's Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.